Wow. What I'm going to teach tonight, I don't think I've ever taught before until this morning. And it's not because there hasn't been a need for it. I've perceived a need for it for a long time. Uh, but there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is I could be arrested for teaching what I'm about to teach tonight. This is, uh, there have been people in this past year arrested for teaching and believing this. And it will happen in our lifetime. You'll see it where it'll happen regularly. And I think the other reason uh, I've been reluctant to teach this is it's one of those sensitive issues. You're, you're getting into people's homes. You're getting into how they do things and how they raise their kids. I'm gonna teach about child discipline tonight. It's just one of those she-bear kinds of things that you don't talk to me about my kids and, and how I'm doing it, in part because I don't think any of us feel really successful at it or feel like we really know what we're doing. And so it's kind of like an insecurity reaction. And, um, but as I meet with people one-on-one, -on -one, I see a need for it. And I've been hearing in Ohio and Belleville where we have churches that they're asking for it. And, um, but it's, uh, it's not an easy subject to, to teach. As soon as you talk about child discipline or spanking or any of those things, for most of us, we've come out of a background where that was either negative, you know, on the, on the extreme where we're really uh, abused by people in authority, or so neglected, so abandoned, uh, that it's just one of those issues that it's loaded with implications. So as soon as you talk about child discipline, who knows what it means in, in, in all of our hearts because of our background, including my own. And uh, there's so many bad examples of it. It's in the papers all the time of just people taking it to an extreme. I think the other reason that I've been reluctant to teach about it is my own kids. They've grown up in the faith. They've grown up in the home. They had a... Uh, I, would, I would say an ideal childhood, an amazing childhood. And they're all camp counselors and uh, doing YWAM and all of that. And then something, something happened, um, especially my boys, where they're not walking with the Lord the way they should. They're not walking as disciples. Here I'm discipling people from all over the world, and I would give anything to disciple my own my own sons, they love me, and they, I just talked to my oldest son tonight. I mean, they, they never hang up the phone without saying they love me, and, and they ask about the church and that kind of thing, but uh, th there's no real fellowship in terms of discipleship, and so uh, I just feel like that's like such a big disqualifier, disqualifier in my life that it makes it hard for me to get up there as any kind of expert to talk about doing something so your kids turn out turn out right. Although I'm proud of them. They're hardworking. They love their families. They work hard to provide for their families. They're people of integrity. They, they're, if you met them and sat down with them, you would really enjoy um, listening to them and talking to them. They're creative, interesting people, good people. And so it's, I don't feel a failure in that sense at all. It's just you want your kids walking with the Lord with all their heart. And so it makes it hard. I want to teach this tonight 
we just have baby dedication after baby dedication that keep coming. Uh, most of us have, have kids. If you don't, yeah, of course you will someday. So file the sermon away. And, and I think for single people, um, uh, people who don't have children yet, uh, in my experience, the most opinionated people on how to raise children are single people. And so file this away. Uh, this would be good information for you to add to your, all your knowledge about how to raise kids. And so there, I said it. It's true. So I became a dad, married Heather at 21, and uh, a couple years later became a dad and could never have told me how much you could love someone that you just met. No one could have prepared me for being a dad. What an amazing experience that was. And, um, but we weren't prepared for it. We were not only just young, but I came from a, uh, a good home, a really good, good family, good people, really good people. My, even now, looking back on it, I had a wonderful childhood. And um, we weren't abused or anything like that from our parents. They were good people. Um, but there was dysfunction. And uh, so uh, my, my being a dad and, and Heather being a mom for the first time, and we're coming from two different worlds. I mean, her family was pretty wealthy. Mine were poor, uh, blue-collar, hard-working people. And uh, uh, Heather came. <laughs> Heather never had anything but an A in all her school years for her entire life. Never had anything but an A. And I thought, how boring is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't know the thrill of getting, being a straight C student and getting a few Ds sprinkled in there. It just really gets you thinking. Uh, so we're coming at raising this newborn from two very different points of view. And, uh, and uh, we just met the Lord around this time as well. And so, so I was crying out, saying, Father, help me, help me. Help me to know how to raise this child that you've given us. And, and we don't have a clue. We don't know what we're doing. And so... Um, I, I prayed that prayer, and within a week, maybe two, but uh, I probably, I probably, my mind thinks it's like a week. Uh, I don't even know how, but a track, a little pamphlet came in my hand called Under Loving Command, and it was written by a husband and wife. Uh, their last name is Fabrizio, and they wrote this, and their whole goal was to um, find something that was spiritual, balanced, biblical, that would encourage parents how to love their children by using the rod. And uh, I had not seen that track before or hadn't seen it in wide circulation since. You can Google it. It's a free PDF that you can download. You can look at it. It's called Under Loving Command. But it really was a powerful, powerful gift from the Lord. I thank him many times for that coming into my hand because it, it, it showed me the need for it. It showed me the, uh, it brought the book of Proverbs alive for me in ways that I hadn't before because the book of Proverbs was written uh, mostly for young people to be able to be trained in the Lord. And so, um, and quite a bit in there about uh, corporal punishment. And so it, it just, tremendous tool, tremendous helpful tool. And um, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 22, Verse 15, 
all child discipline has nothing to do with the personality necessarily of your children. All, our children are all different from each other. It's hard to believe that from two parents, three completely different people can come out, have the, that mix. It's very different, different needs, different needs for discipline. But one thing that they had in common that we discovered very early is they all had a carnal nature. And it was an adult-sized carnal nature in this little baby. And I've spent the past few months teaching here that we're a three-part being. I'm a spirit, I have a soul, uh, I live in a body. And all three of those parts have their own mind, their own will, their own voice. They want control of me, and who, which, to whichever one I yield, that's the one that's going to be in charge of my life. My flesh is incredibly selfish and only wants to be fulfilled uh, with all of its selfishness. And my spirit loves God, is born again, and, and wants to be and should be the one who's in charge of my life. He can't do anything without going through my soul. It needs my mind, my will uh, engaged. And my flesh can't do anything unless my, my soul permits it. And so that's why there's such a war inside of me to get both of these entities wanting to be in control, and there's a war in my soul. We talked about this for the past couple months. Everyone on board with that? I don't need to reteach that, right? But in Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, an infant. Foolishness is bound, in other words, they come this way. It's bound in the heart of a child. And the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And uh, uh, foolishness, when you read the book of Proverbs, it's, it's a book of contrast. It'll talk about the lazy man and the, and the man with the work ethic. And it talks about you know, the guy who saves his money and the spendthrift and uh, uh, the guy with um, temperance and the guy who's a drunkard. It's always in contrast, but the big contrast in the book of Proverbs is between foolishness and wisdom. And, and that didn't make a lot of sense to me, or it didn't, I didn't really relate to that until I realized that foolishness is describing rebellion. That independent, I'm going to do it my way, don't tell me what to do kind of attitude. That's what foolishness is. Wisdom isn't being smart or having knowledge. It's, it's being submissive. That's the big contrast. When you know those two things from the book of Proverbs, it changes it, it comes alive. So the issue here is foolishness, which is rebellion. Now listen to the same verse. This is in the Today's Living Bible. should come up behind me. A youngster's heart is filled with rebellion, but punishment will drive it out of him. So from, from Adam through me, Michael, my oldest son, here he is, he's a brand new baby, he's beautiful, he's perfect in every way, he's, you can tell he's smart, you can tell he's alert, he's quick, quick look to learn, quick study about everything, he's a wonderful, bright, happy child, but inside of him from Adam is this foolishness, this rebellious heart. And that showed up one day in a really shocking way. Um, Heather and I were in the kitchen and Michael was in his little uh, um, uh, what is that? A walker. Yes. So he's in his little walker. You know, it's the little thing on wheels. He can't walk yet, but he can move around in this walker. It's got all the bumpers on it and bells and whistles and stuff. So he's in the kitchen and 
uh, he goes over to where we plug in, you know, the light socket. He goes over to the, the, the plug, and he's always drooling. He's cutting teeth, and, and uh, his hands are wet. He's got the bib on, and he goes to put a wet little finger in the, in the light socket. Well, that shocked me. I mean, shocked me. I, I don't mean to say that, but it, it did shock me. And, and I said, Michael, no. And he looked around, knew his name, and, you know, knew all of that. He stopped and looked at me and made eye contact with me. So I knew that he understood exactly what I was saying. And so while he's still making eye contact with me, he's looking at me, his little hand starts moving automatically to the outlet. And I, and I can't believe it. I mean, it's clearly rebellion. I mean, it's, it's, it, we're so shocked to find that this is in him. He, this, he came this way. It wasn't learned behavior. And so I look at Heather, she looks at me, and I, we can't believe that we just saw that. And I said, Michael, no. And he kind of stiffened and, and resolved, and his little hand started to move toward the light socket again, and to the outlet. And <laughs> I, I can't believe this. And so I get a little firmer, and I say, no. And you can just see, like, like that flash just kicked in, like, who are you to tell me no? And he's looking at me like I can't see, but his little finger starts going again. I don't want, I don't want that thing to make contact. I don't, the chance of him getting a shock, I don't know how real that was, but it was real to me. <laughs> Heather and I can't believe this is happening. We have a showdown right there in the kitchen. It seemed like it lasted an hour. I'm breaking out with perspiration. He can't walk or talk, and here I'm 23 or 24 at the time, and, and, and this is happening, this is war, this is all at war. My, my uh, little baby son has a carnal nature. I and mean, it was just such a, such a f strange thing to see that thing so obvious. And so the showdown continued. I went over, I got downward, make sure that he's listening and get eye contact. And then I patted his little fat little hand and patted it and said, Daddy said no. <laughs> Crocodile tears start coming, a little lip quivering. He stiffens up. He looks at me, and his little hand starts to go again. I can't believe this is happening. And I just went on, and I would just pat his little hand. It got a little red. I'm just patting his hand, saying, I said no. Daddy said no. And he was just determined that it was going to happen. I think Heather was praying for me. I mean, this thing was awful. I just wanted, what I would like to have done, and if she wasn't there, I, and maybe I would have, I'm not sure, but I would just like to pick him right up and distract him with something else, you know, get a toy or take him in the other room. I did not want this thing to continue. But we both knew the war is on. I have to win this thing without breaking his will, without bullying him, without being mean. I had to win this thing. He had to submit. Here he is, he can't walk, he can't talk, doesn't even have all his teeth. What a crazy moment that was. I'd not seen that any time growing up like that. And there's a final moment where he, he collapses and asks me to pick him up, and I picked him up, and I assured him of my love. I mean, uh, the issue wasn't him as a person. The issue was between me and his flesh his carnal nature. So I could love him and hug him and he uh, collapsed in my arms and crying. 
And uh, I'm, I'm, I just feel like I need a nap. Like this was just really intense for me. I'm, I'm just so grateful it's over. I could hug him and settle him down and assure, kiss away his tears and assure him that I, that I love him. And uh, it didn't happen like that again with him. Uh, the middle son, Joshua, I don't remember that ever happening with him. And Kate, we had a few battles with her. And so uh, it, it carried on. He and I, though, that moment, that moment of, of, of helping him deal with his flesh. See, the Bible says that a child left to himself will go to destruction. And so you can't just let him decide. You can't let him uh, let that flesh dominate him. And so somebody had to step in. That's my role in and I found that to be my role as a dad, you know, all the years that we had them in our house. And so, uh, but a bond, an, an amazing bond that wasn't there before happened between us over that issue. You could just tell that he was dad's, he was dad's boy. That was a big thing that we saw. Have you seen this? Have you ever seen this happen? In Proverbs 20, verse 11, it says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure or right. So from a child, you can tell from a little child how they're going to function as an adult. And you can also, when you work with adults, you see what they were like when they were kids because it doesn't really change. Fundamentally, it's the same. So he says, even a, even a child is known by his ways, known by his deeds, uh, today's Living Bible says, the character of even a child can be known by the way he acts, whether what he does is pure or, or right. So uh, you don't want that child, you know, that infant acting out on their flesh. You don't want that to continue. Something has to happen. You have to help them. And that's part of training. So, and the word training has to do with narrowing. You have to narrow down their life. You have to choose for them. You have to put limits on what they could do. Otherwise, that adult flesh that's inside of them will just drive their lives and determine what they do and where they go. So there's a training that has to happen. Niagara Falls wouldn't have turned on a single light bulb if it hadn't been narrowed, if it hadn't been channeled. Uh, a horse never gets up and just says, I think I'll go uh, plow the back 40. It has to be channeled. All that power has to be channeled. So in Proverbs 22.6, if you'd like to go there, Proverbs 22.6, says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The way most people understood this when I was first starting out as a Christian, the way this verse, the only time I'd ever heard it quoted was by parents who were crying, saying, I raised them in the faith, I raised them in church, I taught them about Jesus, and now they're not serving him, so uh, I don't understand this verse. It, 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 it becomes confusing for them because the verse is true, but it doesn't match their experience. They're very, very exasperating to say, I trained my child to love the Lord, to believe and have faith, and took him to Sunday school, and this is the way he turned out. Something's wrong here. There's no verse. There's no other verse. You can't find another verse. There's no verse in the Bible that guarantees Christian faith. There's no verse in the Bible that says, if you, if you do this, I'll always be a Christian. Uh, even, even me at this stage of my life, I'm at risk. 
There's a Trojan horse inside of me. There, I, there's a war for my soul. There, there's a target on me. No one's home free. So there's just no way that God's going to promise in his, ver- in, in his word that you raise up a child in the Christian faith and they'll always be Christians. There's no verse that says that, including this one. Here's what it does say. It does say, it does say this. It does mean this. However you train them, that's the way they will be. It'll never depart. And training is, training is happening in the way. It's happening in life. It happens. Training is, is, is how you treat your wife in front of them. Training is how you relate to the, your husband in front of them. Training is how you relate to your neighbors. Training is how you pick up litter. Training is how you, you're on time. That's all training, how you work, how you manage money, how you hide things from your, your spouse, and they see it. Training is, is, is when you have company and they leave and you're nice and polite and, and uh, uh, gracious while they're there and they leave and then you start talking about them in front of the kids and that whole two-faced kind of thing comes out, you're training them. That will stay with them. Uh, someone, there's a book title that says, Children are wet cement. You know, they're impressionable. Children are like wet cement. What we do and how we live is all part of the training. There's a lady, she's in a grocery store. She's talking to another lady. They both got their carts there. This lady had a child in the, in the little car seat, the little seat on the, on the cart. And while she's talking to this lady, the kid's just reaching for the grapes uh, nearby there, reaching and just gobbling them up as fast as they could. And finally, she was, became aware of it. And she says, Billy, not so fast. That's training. That's training. Children don't come pre-trained. They don't train themselves. So what God has done is he's given us these children, and what he says is now it's your responsibility to train them, and however you train them is how they will live their lives. That's an amazing thing. There's a sense where all of this gets translated, God is training us. He's working with us. He's working to build character, building Christian character. And he trains. And, he, and one of the most powerful tools in training is a thing called pain. Pain's a powerful tool. And God uses that as part of the training. And it's all part of our relationship. There's things that if you could just live according to your flesh and do all this, but you've tried it and you experience pain and it just it retards that, it stops that, it retracts it. Pain's a powerful, powerful tool. In fact, while you're in pain, if you had a massive toothache, you wouldn't feel like eating, you wouldn't feel like having sex, you wouldn't feel like doing any of the kinds of sensual things that our flesh wants to do. It stops. It stops. Pain will stop that. Well, what God does is he says, I want you to apply pain to stop their flesh because nothing else will stop it. And so when he relates to us, he uses pain. A child left to himself, a child left to himself will just become selfish. And then he'll grow up and that selfishness will be in the home and it'll wreck his marriage, wreck her marriage. How, how she saw mom treating dad and manipulating and wrapping him around his, her little finger. If, if he lets that happen 
and she grows up that way, that'll be brought into her marriage, and guess what? It won't work. How, how he treats mom is how he'll treat his wife. And sometimes that's a disaster. So there's training that has to happen. But I, we have a little video clip, and this, this, this is funny. It made me laugh the first time I saw it. But it's a profound study in, in uh, carnal nature, how, I, how it comes about, mixed with a little bit of she must have seen this happen in the home. So let's watch Girl with Lipstick. Did you do anything in the bathroom? Mm-mm. Nothing? Mm-mm. I was putting some lipstick on, and then I was giving my phone. So you put, what'd you put on? Lipstick on. Oh. Whose was that? It was, it was my lipstick. Oh, it was? Yeah. Did you ask anybody if you could put it on? I asked myself. <laughs> Did you see how it looked? Yeah. Well, how do you, if you could describe it, how would you describe it? No, like. What? Like a noonie was. Like a noonie has big, let's back on his mom's and, and he, he, he pretended it's hers. So whose lipstick is that? Uh, mine. You bought it? Yeah. Where'd you buy that? My lipstick? Yeah. I buy it from Home Depot. <laughs> so she's accused of a liar you've ever seen. She bought that at Home Depot. And she, she kind of leads him away with a bunch of garble to get him off issue, get him off topic. And it's funny, I, it really is, and that's why he filmed it and posted it. Except that if something doesn't happen to narrow that or there's training that brought the bear, guess what? She'll just grow up and lie her way out of every little embarrassment or anything that she wants to have. She will, that's, how she will, that's how she'll live. Training has to come to bear. I don't watch very much TV, and I don't know how I saw these, and I, I haven't seen very many, but maybe a half a dozen of these shows um, called Dog Whisperer. And Dog Whisper is based on a, uh, an actual book called Horse Whisper, where there are these dysfunctional horses, and a guy was able to read their body language and see what was going on and communicate in a way that caused these horses to recover from their dysfunction because they've been treated so badly. It's usually what the issue is. And so that now there's a guy named Dog, Dog Whisper, and he, he's invited, part of the premise of the show, he's invited to someone's house because the dog, this lovely little pet that they, everyone loves, is terrorized in the house. He's, he's either barking all the time, he's... Uh, uh, has, gets fits of anger from time to time, or he's eating up things, he's chewing up things, he's wrecking the house when they leave. They're exasperated because they love the dog, but they don't know what to do, so they call in Dog Whisperer. So Dog Whisperer comes in. And, the, and I've seen this in the half a dozen shows I've seen. I think this is consistent with how this whole thing works, and so if I'm wrong, let me know. But what Dog Whisperer does is he comes in and he trains the owner. He corrects the owner. He said, change this, and that'll change this. And it works every time. It's an amazing study in human nature. The issue is the parents. 
So the only way that you're going to be able to discipline your children is you have to become disciplined. The only way that you can uh, raise your kids and, and, and raise them in a way that you want them to turn out a certain way, you have to be the one to change. You have to change because it's in God's word. You have to change because you see it. You see the value of it. You see the wisdom of it. You, you see how you want to live. And it, so it's going to require major discipline for you to be able to discipline your children consistently. So Proverbs 13, 24, if you'd like to go there. And this is, this is the King James Version. And this is the verse I learned it in. And uh, it says, He that spares the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Betimes. And that stuck in my brain, betimes. And of course, what does betimes? We don't use that very often. What does betimes mean? It actually means early and earnestly, according to the Strong's Concordance. Earnestly and early. So it has to happen early. You can't wait and say, oh, I'll wait till they understand. I'll wait till they're they're, uh, rational and I can explain. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says that, you know, it's not about explaining until they choose good behavior. Uh, there has to be training. And uh, early, earnestly, uh, the best one that I ever come across is carefully and continually or consistently, consistently and carefully. That, that, it takes discipline to discipline. And that's the crux of it. That's where, that's where it all breaks down. Here's a new King James. It says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So it's really more about you than your children. And for me, it was a real issue between me and God. I knew God was looking. I knew he was listening. I was doing this to honor him. I was doing this to be a man of God. I was doing this to honor his word. Here's what we didn't do. We never disciplined our children for being children. We never disciplined them for, being, for spilling their milk, for doing childish things, things that were outside of their... Uh, ability. We only discipline them for one thing. Only one thing. That made it really simple. The issue was disobedience. The issue is I told them not to do that and I promised them that if they did it they would be spanked and so that was the issue and so uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't discipline them for doing something that was wrong if I hadn't told them not to do it. So it, it really meant sitting down and saying, look, at, here's what dad wants you to do. You, and I'm asking you not to do this. If you do this, I promise you there'll be a consequence. And so I had to lay that out. For them now to have heard that and understood that, for them then to go and just do the opposite of what I just said, that's disobedience. That needs to be disciplined. That's their carnal nature trying to do its own thing. That's the battle. So that was the only thing that we disciplined them for. If they, uh, they do what kids do, we didn't discipline them for that. Even if they came and they shared with me and said, I did something wrong, we would reward that. We wanted them to keep coming and have the freedom, the freedom to come and say, Dad, I did something I want to share it with you. We didn't discipline them for that. It was only because I told them not to do it. They knew and they understood that that was clear. And then they went ahead and did, did it. That, was, that had to be disciplined. And then if they didn't like being disciplined for that, and they give me a tantrum or a cold shoulder, we would discipline them for that because that's their carnal nature punishing me for disciplining them. So there are the two issues. That kept it really simple. 
that was, that was, made it simple. The idea that we would verbally tell them what we're expecting, verbally correct them, oftentimes that was enough. And as the older they got, the easier this thing got. I was amazed at what a short window it really took to, to really be disciplined and really stay with that, getting my discipline under control. Once we got that emotion, we really hardly ever had to spank them or, or really work at this kind of thing. And of course, there's a certain age where we stopped spanking them and we found other ways to create pain, uh, taking away an allowance, taking away a, a privilege, taking away something that they were expecting, which created pain uh, in their flesh. And so here's, here's what never happened. I don't recall this ever happening. I don't recall them ever doing something that caused me to cuff them, and, and, or cuff them, they're sitting there and backhand them, they never saw it coming, they didn't know what hit them, they didn't know where that was coming, and that's the number one thing I hear kids saying, I wasn't trained right, I wasn't raised right, I was raised in an abusive home, I didn't know when my dad was gonna fly off the handle. This whole thing prevents flying off the handle because it's measured, it's controlled, you're telling them on the front end, that's called rebuke, so you lay it out and you do that in a calm, cool, collected manner. Violating that warrants discipline. And so uh, I don't recall a time when, when they would just be out of nowhere hit or disciplined, uh, spanked for no reason or reason that they didn't, weren't able to connect the dots. It's always connected to disobedience. So you can see this in Revelation, if you'd like to go there. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is writing to the church at Laodicea. begins in verse 14, goes to verse 22. And he's writing to them, and it creates pain. It's public. It's a public rebuke. And he's saying to them that if you do this, here's the consequence. Here's the punishment that's coming. That means he's telling them ahead of time. He's not just, uh, the way God relates to me, he never just punishes me out of nowhere. And I, I don't understand what happened or where that come from. I can't think of a time that God has disciplined me that he hasn't told me ahead of time not to do it and then telling me he's about to discipline me. That's called rebuke. That's part of his relationship. That's part of how I, I want to be with my kids. That's the way God is with me. I hear people tell stories like God just threw this tantrum and flew off the handle and, and uh, give them a car wreck or a disease or ambles falling out of the sky on their head. I don't think so. I don't know him that way. I don't know God that way. What I see is God being this way to the church at Laodicea, which was a deep disappointment to him. They weren't living according to the gospel. He says, he says this is wrong. If you change, I'll reward you. If you don't change, here's what's going to happen. That's the proper way to discipline our kids. And then, then he goes on in verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's two, a two-point step. That's rebuke, that's verbal. Chasten is physical, it's pain. So he says, I, I rebuke and I chasten. And so oftentimes, God doesn't even have to get to the chasten part because we respond to the rebuke. And I found the verse in, in uh, Proverbs 29, verse 19, in the, today's Living Bible, and says, sometimes mere words is not enough. 
Discipline is needed. For the words may not be heeded. There's a point, there's a time in my relationship with God that he's done speaking. He told me, he warned me, he told me what was coming, he told me what the consequence would be. I went ahead and I did it, and then you have to bear the consequence. But then, the thing about God is he just loves to gather you up in his arms, so to speak, kiss away your tears and tell you he loves you and assures you of his love. He's just that way. He's been that way in my life. I see that David. David had that kind of relationship where he feared God, but he wasn't afraid of God because he knew God's mercy. He knew God's love was there as a fundamental. Our kids need to know that. They need to be assured. The idea that you'd spring some kind of discipline on them makes that love uncertain. They don't know how you're going to react. They don't know... I've heard kids say, Dad would come home. I didn't know that whether he had a belt behind his back that he's going to hit me with or if he had a present. No one should live in that kind of fear. No one should live in that kind of environment. That's not the way God is. That's not how he relates to us. Chastening is a form of teaching. God wants to teach us. Part of the reason he wants to teach us is so, so that we don't go to hell. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. The reason is, is that carnal nature will lead him to destruction. If that carnal nature has its way, it'll wreck his life. Someone has to step in. Someone has to help. It says, Chasten your son while there's hope. Do not set your heart on his destruction, Proverbs 19, 18. So this whole thing of chasing, this whole thing of disciplining, it's part of it. It's part of church life. These days, people don't even want to hear rebuke. The Bible tells me in, in Titus, the book of Titus, that part of my preaching style has to be to bring rebuke, that there's verbal correction, verbal confrontation. These days, we can hardly do that you have to have nice sermons to make people feel good. And if you say anything that kind of narrows their life or corrects something that they're doing, they just go to the church down the street. Not much you can do. We can't hardly, we can't hardly use church discipline, much less chastening. We never get there because they leave. They go to another church. But God sees it. He knows it. And he wants us to be trained. He wants our life to be fruitful. He wants us to be uh, fruitful citizens in the kingdom. He wants us to reproduce. And so he will chasten us. And you just have to leave it. I mean, many times I've just said, Lord, I give this to you. They're not listening to me. They're not receiving anything from me. I leave this to you. And I see the chastening of the Lord happen. Here's some things you have to train your children in. This is based on Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 to 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the, the Lord. Uh, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, the three-part being. And um, these words I command you today that, uh, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, uh, as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. The whole idea is this is life. When you're rising up, when you're lying down, when you're doing life, when you're working, when you're, when you're walking, children are trained and they hear God's word and it's illustrated for them by how you, get, how you respond when you get pulled over by the police. The kids are watching. That's, that's fulfilling this verse. You're training them, you're teaching them God's word with whatever life brings your way. It's in the walk. It's not talking about wrapping leather straps around your wrist and putting a little box on your forehead with scripture in it, writing um, a little verse in a box on your doorpost. It's, that's taking it literally. But spiritually, it's just talking about the way you train your children and the way you get them to love God's word and interpret God's word and understand God's word is in the walk. It's in the way. It's in the house. We have to train our children. I'm going to give you a list of things you have to train them in. You have to train them for marriage. I remember just being so aware that how my daughter related to me is how she's going to relate to her husband someday. That was a very sobering thing. That provoked me to treat her differently, relate to her differently. And I also wanted to, I also wanted to treat her with such a level of, of love and respect that any man who wins her hand, he's going to have a bar to, high bar to match. He's going to have to live up to something. And uh, you have to train them for church. You have to train your daughters how to, you know, how she treats that is how she's going to treat her husband, sons, how you treat moms is going to be how you treat their wife. You have to teach them how to discipline their own flesh, to stay on top of their own flesh, their own selfishness, how to manage negative thoughts, negative feelings like fear, anxiety, depression. How to walk in integrity. I mean, just even in a store where you're not, you're not excited because the, the clerk gave you too much change back, that he sees you. He sees you go back in and say, look, you gave me too much money. That's, that's training. That's training in life. I had a guy tell me one time with tears. He said he had to move. And I asked him why he moved. from. He loved that neighborhood, loved that house. I said, why did you move? He said, well, my son was going through the neighborhood, breaking into neighborhood houses and stealing their stuff. We're so ashamed of his behavior that we had to move. I could just hear pain, what he's saying, the shame of that. He said, but the worst part, he's we're sitting down for dinner, and my son said, Hey, don't you just love these knives and forks that you stole off that airplane? The dad was stealing. Small stuff. But the boy delighted in it. The dad delighted in it. It was at the time when airplane had real silverware. But the dad had been doing it. It was caught. It was taught. It was illustrated in some small way. We have to train them discernment. I see a big problem when you just tell your kids, don't listen to this music, don't read this book, you know, whatever, it's Harry Potter, whatever. We, we tell them what not to do. I just stepped on another little mind there. <laughs> whatever it is. You have to train them how to discern. 
You have to train them, and, and discernment is learned. You have to train them. I remember, I remember being a, it was a big issue in the church when my kids were little about, about listening to rock and roll and listening to even Christian rock and roll. I remember just being able to work with them and talk with them and talk music and listen to the music that they wanted to listen to and relating, talking about it. And, and they were able to go into a store and say, Dad, I, I don't like that music that's playing. I, why don't you like that music? It just doesn't make me feel good, Dad. I don't feel good when I listen to that music. And I wanted them to cultivate rather than uh, just telling them, this is what you will listen to, this is what you will do. They never grow. They never develop. They have to learn how to make mistakes. They have to learn how to, how to choose, even choose wrongfully, choosing things that you wouldn't choose for them. It has to happen that way. How to make decisions. I met a young guy one time. He couldn't make a decision. He couldn't decide anything. And I would say, you choose. Decide which way you can go. There's all, all these options. Choose. And he said, choose for me. Just... Finally, he got exasperated. He says, Penn, just tell me what to do. I said, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to raise you that way. I don't want, I mean, I was discipling him. I don't want, I don't want that to be our relationship. The more we got talking about it, he wasn't able to decide anything. His parents decided it all. They told him, this is what you'll think. This is what you'll do. Well, then he couldn't function on his own. It's an awful way to train your children. Train them how to manage money. Train them how to resolve conflicts. I could tell you story after story where the, our kids would come to us because of either conflict between themselves or conflict with someone at school. It was a golden opportunity to bring God's word to bear in such a way that they could see it, they could see the wisdom of it, they could try it, they could see the fruit, the results of it. It's amazing opportunities. Because life is filled with conflict. They go to church. You grow up, and guess what? You have relationships, you have marriage. Guess what? It's, it's conflicts. Someone has to train them how to resolve that. Having a good work ethic. I remember telling my boys when they were little, listen, if you do what I'm asking, and they didn't want to do work bees. They didn't want to go to church work bees. I said, this is how we live. Come on. And I'd make it interesting, make it fun for them, taught them how to work. I said, if you'll, if you'll listen to me, I'll teach you some things. You'll never lack for a job. People will fight over hiring you. And that actually came to pass in their youth. I mean, even as, even as young boys, every farmer in the church wanted to hire them. They had jobs coming out of their ears. They had more jobs than they could have actually do. But it was because everyone said, boy, they're such good workers. Well, that would, they were trained to do that. How to relate properly to authority. How to respect property. How to live a life of honor. So we have to train our children. It's just part of our responsibility. They don't train themselves. And they have a Trojan horse with inside them, each of them, a full-size, full adult, full bore, full-grown carnal nature that'll only get stronger and show up in more ways than you can imagine, unless somebody helps them to with pain to show them how to deal with that. And then there's a point, there's a point where you don't have to do that. And there's a point, of course, where you turn them over to God and you let God do it. I remember meeting a pastor one time and he was telling me, he was actually boasting when he said it, that the night before his son was married, he spanked him. I thought, something's wrong. That you have to spank him at that age physically, 
put him over his knee, and spanked him. I was embarrassed to hear that. So, something's wrong with that. He thought, it was, he thought it was like a real great example of being biblical. There's a point where you don't have to do that. There's a point where you look, them just knowing, I know what dad would say. I know what dad would say. And uh, it's all part of the training. If you had godly parents who trained you right, boy, can you just give them a call tonight or tomorrow and just say, look, uh, I didn't realize what you poured into me. I didn't realize the price you paid. I didn't realize the amount of discipline it took, but I, can't, I haven't thanked you enough for the way you raised me. If they didn't do a good job, if they, somehow they neglected that responsibility or somehow they, they took it out of their discipline, was out of their flesh, not out of their spirit, then we need to forgive them. We need to forgive them and just say, I don't want to resolve not to be like them. I just want to, I want to forgive that. What I want to do is I want to resolve to be like my Father in Heaven who, who disciplines me in the most gracious way. He's true to His Word. He keeps His Word. He keeps His promise. His, his discipline toward me is because He believes in me. He loves me. He wants the best for me. You could actually say something like this. This whole dysfunction that we grew up in stops with me. It stops with me. It stops with me because I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to apply God's word. I'm going to learn his way. Step by step, I'm going to learn his way. Someone has to decide that. And you can decide it. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. It's matchless. It's wonderful. I can't think of anything I've ever read. I can't think of anything I've ever heard. It's so full of wisdom. And it works. It works in real life. I can't think of anything that I've studied in psychology or that I've read about that's being taught humanism that contains any of the wisdom and the practical, the practical good that's in your word. Thank you for it, Father. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to embrace it with all of our hearts. Help us to try it. Help us to apply it, oh God. Your word is like a lamp for our feet, Lord. We wouldn't even know how to do this thing if it wasn't for your word. Thank you for it. Teach us. Train us. And we'll train others. In Jesus' name, amen.